says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tip Sheet. I'm your host, 4020, also known as John. Joining me, as always, is my good mate, 60s. It's a preview edition, mate. It's a big game on the weekend. How are you doing this week? Mate, when we record prior to the game, it's a position where we live in hope, don't we? Where yeah. we have that, where Eternal we, hope. Where with a positive mindset, the same sort of positive mindset that we want the team to have. So I'm ready to rip in, mate. Hope you are too. Yes, sir. And the positive mindset thing is important because, you know, given how much the team struggled in recent weeks, it is easy to forget that this is meant to be, and we know it is, a very good team, not just on paper, but on the field, one that can take it to the two premiership heavyweights in the competition. So on that note, they've got a chance to prove their credentials in a match against their arch rivals this week, the Manly Seagulls, prime time on Saturday night, 7.35 p.m. kickoff at the Sunshine Coast Stadium, not Seabus Super Stadium. They're going uh, up to the Sunshine Coast. And the Eels taking on the Seagulls and the opposition looking like this with Tom Tobojevic, the form player of the tournament, in the number one jersey. On the wings for Manly, Jason Saab and Ruben Garrick. Uh, Brad Parker, also known as Hank Scorpio, in one set of spot with Morgan Harper in the other. Then you've got the uh, what's old as new pairing of Kieran Foran and Daly Cherry Evans in the halves. DCE is the captain for the Sea Eagles. In the front row, Josh Aliwai and Martin Tapau bookending Lachlan Croker. In the back row, one of the uh, more uh, exciting edge pairings in terms of youth and, um, and talent going around at the moment, Hamolo Olakowatu and Josh Schuster. And then at lock forward, Jake Dvojevic. On the bench for the Seagulls, Dylan Walker, Carl Lawton, Curtis Sirinen, and Kurt DeLouis. On the extended run, uh, extended bench, sorry, Moses Sui, Cade Cast, Jack Koswalski, and Ben Dvojevic. So they've got all three Dvojevic boys in the team, but it looks like only the two senior ones will be playing. For the Eels, a couple of changes this week, actually. You've still got Quentin Gufferson at captain and fullback. You've got Mike Aceva on one wing, but a new face on the other flank. It's Michael Oldfield coming in to replace Hayes Dunster, who we believe was dropped, given that he is in the extended team, but not uh, in the actual starting roster. So, and it's a new, and we have to say Michael Oldfield is a new old face, isn't he? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yes, it's a, a new old face living up to his surname there. Um, one of the, uh, I suppose, storied NRL journeymen, because he's been around the traps and he actually started with the Manly Seagulls going way back now. So he gets to uh, play the club that I believe he debuted for. So cool little story within a story there. In the halves, Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses. Moses backing up from that effort against the South Sydney Rabbitohs where he fought through that broken back. So hopefully he'll be a little bit better for that run. Front row, we've got our first uh, major change. Not that the old field change is uh, not significant, but Zai Papali'i comes into the front row, moving from that left edge because Oregon Kafusi has failed the, uh, the HIA protocols during the week. He was obviously knocked out in the first tackle of that game against the Rabbitohs. So uh, BA opting to move his edge weapon into the front row to perhaps inspire the, the forwards to win the collision there. We know that Ice is an absolute uh, phenom in terms of tackle busting and and not even just tackle busting, but being difficult to bring down. He'll often carry guys for many metres, so hopefully he can inspire him there. And uh, Junior Paul will be working in tandem with him in the starting front row rotation, with Joey Lusick, as we all expected, replacing the injured Reed Money for the remainder of 2021. In the back row, Sean Lane gets the nod to start on the left edge, and hopefully that can inspire a little bit more effort from the big man. 
but that also probably opens the way for more minutes for Bryce Cartwright. On the average, Ryan Madison and Nathan Brown at lock forward. On the bench, Will Smith is a utility. Bryce Cartwright, Murata Niakore, and the coolest, the coolest part of this round, I feel like personally for us, 60s, is the debut of Makahesi Makatoa, and we'll give him plenty of time in a dedicated section of the preview. On the extended bench for the Eels, Ray Stone, Will Penasini, Hayes Dunster, and Jake Arthur, but I'd be surprised if any of those four were properly in the run for a, a, a run, properly in the run for a run, there you go, on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, so it, it's it's. I actually am looking forward to the fact that there are two debuts because the Eels like to make it. Uh, the the players really like to make debuts special for their teammates, and maybe that's part of some inspiration that the team can find for this week. No, it's a solid call. Uh, it, it's definitely. It adds uh, something more to the occasion, doesn't it? It's not just a big game against an arch rival. It's now a game that you want to make memorable for you know two players. One as an actual NRL rookie, even though it's mature age, and one as a, a club rookie or a club debutant. So it adds that that much more extra spice to to the cause for the win. And yeah, uh, and this is this is an interesting one because this is a game that the Eels traditionally have had a favourable matchup in. Under Brad Arthur, the Eels have generally played Manly really well. That's not to say they haven't lost. I think they've lost, I think, five games now, if I recall correctly, but including the last start where the Seagulls uh, ran right over us in the impromptu uh, memorial game to Bozo Bob Fulton when he passed away on game day. But yeah, the, this is a game that Eels usually get up for. And in a way, maybe it is the ideal matchup for us to help spark us out of our slump. Well, the advantage of it being played up in Queensland, is that this match was due to be a Brookvale Oval Correct. counter. So we take away their home match advantage. Not that the Eels' home match advantage was anything that assisted the Eels the last time that the two teams uh, came together. But you'd have to say that given the form the two teams you most people would be agreeing with the form analysts analysts and the uh and the the uh odds makers that it's a match that manly are well and truly favorites for yeah manly entering this game as heavy favorites in the head-to-head matchup they're at a dollar 20 and the eels have blown out to 450 on the back of their three losses on the trot um, although, like we said, the, the recent form between these two teams would make this game a lot closer, if not in the Eels' favour. So uh, historical you know, form counts for something, but not anywhere near everything. And it's up to the Eels, obviously, to prove the bookies wrong. And to do that, a lot of the conversation will be focused on shutting down Tom Dubojevic because he is the form player of the tournament. He's on a uh, Jared 09-14 sort of form or a Ben Barber 2012 sort of run where barring some sort of catastrophic industry in injury, sorry, not industry, uh, he is the runaway Dalian favourite. Where do you want to see the Eels limit Tom's impact? Because I don't think you can completely nullify him. Uh, he is just that good of a player when he's healthy. But there, there are certain things you can do in terms of the kicking game and, and how you structure your attack and defence that can mitigate some of his impact. What are the big ones for you? Well, I don't like the ball in the air to him on the full yeah. for a start. I, I, there's, I don't know that there's too many ways they can avoid it other than you get the ball down to the uh, winger corner uh, in the in Mitch Moses' long kicks. 
in the short kicking game, we want that ball along the ground. So that Tommy Turbo is bending over and um, not being able to get into stride immediately. And that's, the, that, that, I was just going to say, that's something that jumped out at me in our lost Manly earlier this year, is that we've done that general strategy really well in the past, kicking on the ground, forcing him to take awkward clean-ups in goals, and if not, you know, getting caught in goals, making an error or two. And yet, in that game at Bank West, we didn't challenge him on the ground at all. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that um, I think the Eels have to be with Tommy Turbo is patient you know it's uh, he's what we we can't let up on any aspect of the game around him Mm -hmm. he's got his core strength is obviously off the charts because the number of times that you see players go in for a tackle on him and just drop off and he's done that ever since he's come into the nrl when his frame wasn't quite as strong as it is now but you know, when he first hit the NRL, I remember looking at him and thinking, he's a string bean. Yeah. How, how yeah. on earth is he pulling out of Lankosaurus, these tackles? Yeah, he, he, whether it's his running style, a deceptive core strength, like you said, or, or some sort of combination of that, plus it's something else, he is very difficult to bring down. And we're not just talking on, you know, chump defenders. We're talking the NRL's best. Um, consistently yeah. struggle to, to pull him down. So, look, you'd, you'd Say you'd want numbers on him, but at the same token, you put numbers on a an elite player like that, and it creates space for the mm-hmm. players around them. Yep. And I think even even last week, Turbo found a way to be effective against the Storm, even though the Storm were able to win against Manly. He still made his presence felt within that game, and I think. The other aspect of, that Manly showed there was perhaps a, a blueprint for Parramatta, which was um, stay resilient, stay in the game, don't give up points easily, don't drop your heads, because at no stage last week did the Seagulls seem to drop their heads in a contest where the Storm had incredible possession rates in the first half and against many opponents would have just blown them right away. The... The media's take on that was that the storm are, are a little bit out of sorts. Well, I look at the, the storm and I saw a big win that they had, I think it was the week before that, over Penrith, where they did a, a quite a significant number over Penrith. And then that week, I think credit has to be given to Manly because um, they were really good. And I think Melbourne contained Tommy Turbo as well as anyone could contain Tommy Turbo, but I still think he had an impact on that match. So, like you, I don't think there is a way that you shut him down. I think it's basically limiting how much of an impact that he has on the game and, conversely, maximising your own opportunities. And that's the the big thing, isn't it? Well, look, that that first round loss to Manly was a strange one in the flow of the game because we did see Parramatta's right side defence badly exposed on occasions during that match. But we also saw many occasions where it looked like the Eels were certain to score only for Turbo to pull out a miracle last-ditch defensive effort that prevented the ball from being grounded. 
And this is where I said that the, the Eels need to stay strong in their commitment throughout the entire game. And a lot of that will centre around um, where Turbo is. Yes, sir. And it's funny, going back to what you're saying about the the manly resilience against the Melbourne Storm, if you look back beyond our recent run of bad form, a lot of those qualifiers would have held true for Parramatta. You know, being resilient against the flow of possession, which has happened to us numerous times, and and finding a way to stick through and, and just being plucky and disruptive. And a lot of that was what was really our coin cards for most of this season until, uh, you know, confidence levels sort of flatlined alongside some key injuries. So the Eels rediscovering that sort of spark and that sort of spunk would go a long way towards uh, knocking off Manly, it feels like. Yeah, you'd have to look at the last few weeks and say that the resilience level of the Eels has been minimal. Mm-hmm. As soon as the the as soon as Para hasn't been able to score that first try, it's especially the last two weeks, it's felt like those heads have well and truly dropped. And the the problem is, I'm not sure if we touched on this in our review podcast or if it was me recollecting it from uh, the Para podcast I do with the other boys, but when Parramatta have conceded tries, they've conceded, including the first try, they've conceded them in clusters. Yeah. It hasn't just been four or six nil down. They've gone 10 or 12 nil down on back-to-back possessions or near enough. And then if they do eventually get back in the, the score uh, to get, you know, narrow margin somewhat, they then um, concede another cluster of, of tries. So... Uh, they've got to find a way to, to not hemorrhage points. You can concede a try. That's okay. That's what happens in rugby league. You're not always going to be able to shut the opponent out or you know dominate them defensively, but you can't keep bleeding consecutive scores because that just arrests momentum completely out of your control and, and leaves you scrambling and reeling because the opposition have complete uh, you know uh, control of the flow of the game. And I think that's where the mention about the the front loading becomes really important because I think when we're talking about that loss of self-belief, the secret to Parramatta performing well, it's not just putting points on the board, it's dictating how the match is going to be played. So when the Eels are playing well, even when it's taken a while to get those, those first points on the board, uh, they've still eventually been uh, first or they haven't conceded a, a cluster of tries to the opposition. And the Eels have said, this is how the game is going to be played via a dominance in both attack and defence. We haven't seen anything that looks remotely like that in the last two weeks. I'm going to discount the Raiders game because I, I still believe that's a game that they should have won even though they didn't perform well. They had they created enough moments in that game that if they had have iced the moments, they win the contest. We wouldn't even be think, we wouldn't even be talking about the Raiders as a lost ga- as as a lost game. But the last two weeks, man, that um, that lack of setting any tone for the game at at the start of the of the match has been well off. Just well off. Even even without the tries being scored against the Rabbitohs, you just felt that there was too many metres that the South forwards were able to clock up through the middle the, of the, the ruck. The Eels holding on grimly rather than being yeah. in the contest, yeah. 
that's it. That's it. It was everything was about the scramble at that stage. Now I'm not not suggesting that there's anything wrong with a with a, a scramble because if if a team as manages to keep up the scramble in key moments, that can be the way of frustrating an opposition. But you knew by the same token that there wasn't any statement that the, the Parramatta team were making. In fact, can oh, I can't recall a play the ball in the Rabbitohs quarter line in that opening 20 minutes. Yeah, it was a point of the actual uh, commentary as well, that the Eels were like losing the territorial battle significantly, even though they weren't losing the possession battle. That, uh, that Souths had all the running with the ascendancy and the early exchanges. So, yeah, throughout that first quarter, we definitely, if we did have possession side the 20, it would have just been momentary. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's not there was every, not, and it's not that there was everything bad in, in some of the aspects of our work with the ball because there were some clever moments getting out of our own end, going short side plays or, and, and, some smarter offloads but because of the fact that we weren't making a statement defensively and front-loading any defensive um efforts as you said we would we were we're in scramble mode when the ball was turned over to the opposition so that we weren't in any decent field position to take advantage of some things that were clicking for the team with ball in hand. Mm-hmm. I agree. And we know that Manly are going to come out and throw some haymakers at us because they're going to be confident even off the last start loss. And we know that it's going to come through, there's a couple of obvious channels. You know, you look at Tom Dubojevic and you think that the Hards will play some part in it, but also Josh Schuster. So you got to be keying into those players. But it, it's less about trying to key onto them as much as me trying to just have an impact in the middle in general. If, if we can just have an impact in the ruck and, and be able to impose ourselves in the physicality of that part of the game, I feel like we will be right in there with Manly. They're going to score points with Tom Tobojevic. We're going to put ourselves in a position to, to you know, counterpunch and, and repost. I think a team, if, if we turn up and play the football that we're capable of, then... The foregone conclusion that has been tipped won't eventuate. I think it'll be. I think it'll be a genuine contest. But again, it comes back to what what's the mental state of the team with regard to self confidence? What are we prepared? What? How deep can our resilience be this week? How much of a statement are we going to make at the start of the game? There's there is a manly player that I do want to talk to you about because I regard him as a major threat, and that's uh, Olakowatu. Yeah, he's come along in leaps and bounds this year from a, a very raw and athletic prospect that I think was just a... I believe the story is he's a mate of uh, Menezi Fainu and was just tagging along a preseason uh, as a friend of his, and then he ended up getting a sort of training trial chance. Um, but yeah, he's really come along in leaps and bounds, hasn't he? I'm. He's someone that if if you said to me, who would you target to steal from a rival club? He'd be on my radar. I, I I would be surprised if the Seagulls aren't forced to really up their money that he's on because there's got to be rival clubs that have 
got him penciled in as a player that's going to make an impact in their team. I think I think he's a special talent. And he's a big boy, one ninety six centimeters, one hundred and thirteen kilos, and athletic. Oh, I, I look. I just think he's a he's a massive danger player to the Eels' edge, and uh, I'm as concerned about him as I am about Tommy Turbo. They're they're the two manly players that I have singled out as players just to be uh, where it's important for us to shut them down. That's fair. Um, and I know a lot of people will be looking at Josh Schuster too because he's a dynamo of the ball in hand. But with, with Josh, it's interesting because he's also a little bit more prone to an error because he can be a little bit reckless with uh, with his confidence. So it be interesting to see how the Parramatta Eels handle him. He causes some issues in our game when we met uh, earlier this year. But yeah, th- this is a game where you know Manly are going to throw some punches at you. You know they've got they've got the guys to cause some damage. But once again, it's about getting your own house in order. You know, you got to if you can contest the ruck strongly, and then if you can give your outside men the opportunities to play downhill and with speed, you're going to be with every chance in this game. But that, yeah. that comes on the back of of you know taking your chances when they present themselves of not turning the ball over un, uh, needlessly and, and not you know being soft in the ruck defensively. So you take care of that stuff, and a lot of the issues that have been plaguing you sort of start to figure themselves out. I think there's – we have to talk about perception because the perception that I have of Manly at the moment because of the run that they've been on and the form that they've been in is all about their strengths. The perception that – most of us have about Parramatta at the moment is what our weaknesses mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. because we've been there's been a lot of focus on that. I think the key to Parramatta players finding their best and Brad Arthur getting the best out of the players is for the team themselves, the players themselves to focus on their own positives to believe in what they can do. And it might be, it might sound like the easiest thing to do. And in my bumpers up column today, I suggested that if I had anything that I could control with the, with the club, I'd make a five to 10 minute highlights package of what the team were producing earlier in the year and their moments of celebrating what each other's doing. Overwhelming body of evidence to show how good this team is. It's that's just, it. That's it. And I'd I'd be playing it in the team meeting. I'd be playing it in the bus going to the games. Yeah. I'd just be highlighting to the team: this is who you are. It's not a matter of who you can be. This is actually who you are because you've produced that this year. Let's not let's not think about and last um, year what, and what can be. Like, Let, let's not an- analyze what can be. Let's say this is you. This wasn't someone else produced this. This is you. This is our team produced these moments. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as I'm concerned, when I'm looking at this Manly team, yeah, I'm seeing lots of strengths in that team. Um, I'm hoping that, like you see, that there's some uh, areas that can be exploited in the team, that I think that starts by finding our own strengths 100%. and focusing on our own strengths. I agree, Absolutely. Now let's look at our team because there are some changes that we mentioned during the teamless segment of the preview, starting with Michael Oldfield on the flank. Um, we're not expecting an incredible performance from the, the journeyman winger or outside back, but what can he bring to the table for us? Can he do a job defensively? He spent, he spent a lot of time in the centres in reserve grade this year, 
but it feels like this was a change mandated by the poor defensive form of Hayes Dunster against South Sydney. So, uh, you know, can he do what Hayes couldn't? Uh, can he offer a little bit of finishing uh, nows on the edge? Uh, what what does the Michael Oldfield selection bring to the table? I think he has he's always been renowned for pace. How much pace he's lost in the last couple of years, it's hard to determine because I haven't really seen him in open space in the New South Wales Cup this year. I can't recall the moment where he's been put out into the clear. Uh, so he's done his job as a centre in setting up the players outside him. And I think it's probably been fair to say as well that, uh, and, and I have heard that he has been he was a very good talker out on the field for um, Will Penasini in settling down into the New South Wales Cup mm-hmm. this year. So I've heard some strong commendations for him being a good talker out on the field. So... If you're, if you're thinking about communication being an important part of defence, then maybe that's an advantage that he's an experienced winger, that he's got good communication skills out there. And if you've got a new combination on his side of the field, then that that sort of having that capacity to, to be a good talker out there is going to help get the job done. But uh, and and I think we were in a position last week where uh, we were able to counter some of the line breaks that Josh Mansour had with cover defence because Mansour had lost some of his pace um, this week against Manly with Jason Saab uh, and uh, Ruben Garrick, especially Saab, who was one of the top speeches in the game. You're not going to be afforded that luxury, aren't you? No, or if or if Tommy Turbo gets yeah, yeah he himself is himself sweeping rock got a reasonable gallop going yeah yeah so um, we're probably going to need for um, Michael Oldfield to have retained as much of his pace as he as he possibly could have over the years and to and to and to read the play well defensively I think he's got enough experience that if the opportunities come out it his way in attack, you'd expect him to be able to ice them. He, he's been around the traps long enough for that, but I think his crucial role comes down to defence this week. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. And a lot of that also, as we spoke about in our review podcast against the Rabbitohs, is also tied to the the uh, men inside him as well. If the Eels you know, stay honest from the ruck outwards and you know, work correctly with numbers there, it'll take a lot of the pressure off on the outside men. And so, oh, we've just got it. the The defensive system just has to work better this week. Mm-hmm. It's it was taken apart by Manly the last time we played them. It was literally toyed with by the Rabbitohs last week. It, it, you can only use those words, can't you? I mean, it was it was like a training run. The way that the ball would be shifted out to the Rabbitohs left and all of a sudden they're in an open corridor going down the the Eels right hand side don't get me wrong the Rabbitohs have done that to more than just Parramatta this year where it seemed like all they have to do is move the ball to their left and they're creating scoring opportunities but we also know from our track record against 
uh, not just against South because we went into a, the game against South with the track record of them of them being able to open up opportunities on their left. But we also know that Manly have that capacity to open us up on their on their left. Mm-hmm. But then you've also got on the right is where Jason Saab lives, and if Micah's not switched on. He's got a reasonably slow turning circle. Oh, I, Saab Sa- would feast if, if Micah is not on 100% on his game, and along with Wanga too, keeping Micah in, in, you know, in, stra- in like close order. So is what I was looking for there. Yeah, and, and on Saab, is there a more unfortunately named uh, player for a speedster? You know, when you think of Saabs, you think of like mid-range sedans and – this is a kid that's got like the Lamborghini Ferrari sort of speed. Um, you know, he, he's been limited in the past as a player, uh, sort of been a pure speedster, but geez, Manly found a way to maximise his his value to the team with Tommy really doing a great job linking up with him. How did St George not value keeping him? Uh, uh, actually, more to the point, he hails from Maryland. Um, I, yeah, yeah. Saab, Saab was Saab a Tigers junior, or am I making? What was Jason Saab's career path? So yeah, interesting. I don't, I don't think there was from memory. Born in, born in Utah, wasn't in our pathways. Yeah, but I, I can't remember why off the top of my head. Yeah, so born in Newtown, but attended Westfield Sports High. So that might have, but his attendance at Westwood Sports High might have coincided with uh, the shift away from alignment to Parramatta. So that did happen some years back now. So there's a chance there. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, he's another one a little bit like Olakuatu where um, sometimes it, it shows you a validation of taking a chance on the raw athletic traits where the guy might not be an out-and-out footballer because, you know, because of their understanding or, or nuance of the game. But if they're athletic enough, they will find a way. And it looks like Sarah yeah. is starting to prove that rule true, and Olakwato especially has looked outstanding for the Seagulls. But continuing with um, the Parramatta sort of introspection, we're going to look in the front row now as I Papali'i moving from edge to prop forward. What's that tell you, mate? I think it's a positive move because we have – well, I, look, it's probably a forced move as well because – the front row stocks are a little bit depleted. Just a little bit. No Reg until the finals. No Oggy this week due to concussion. Uh, no Greg uh, Wiramu Greg Eva, who's due back at the end of the regulation season or close enough. So uh, forward, prop forward ranks very thin at the moment. Yeah, but I also like the energy that Ice plays in every game, uh, like what it, that he brings to every game. And I don't think that's a bad thing for the middle for us. We know that he's shifted into the middle when we've had a back row rotation off the bench, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes that back row from the rotation has come late in games. So what we're looking at this with this instance is obviously he's going to play out the middle, his entire game in the middle. Yes, and yeah, I I like that energy that he can potentially bring i'm also hoping that what we're going to see is um the opportunity for uh Makahesi 
to get a few more minutes than what we normally get with a forward making their debut. I don't know that we can afford to uh, have him play five to ten minutes. I think he's shown he's got a good motor during New South Wales Cup. We've seen him... We've seen the sort of numbers, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but he's he's got a good motor. He can take multiple hit-ups in the same set of six. He's proven that time and again. Uh, the ideal way BA likes to introduce forwards to the NRL is in those short, really short stints because they do get gassed. It is a... The, the speed a, difference a, is a, significant, a, yes. It, it yeah, is... A, Absolutely. And to compound it, these blokes from the New South Wales Cup haven't played for, what is it, about eight weeks now, seven or eight weeks. So you can't expect that they're going to have match conditions. So there is a complication to it. Like If I'd like him to play the longer minutes, but if he doesn't play the typical uh, first rotation sort of minutes that you'd expect of a middle forward there's a part of me that goes well i understand that because he just hasn't had any game time whatsoever lately um but at the same time i'll be disappointed because i think he has a bit that he can contribute it's it's i feel like it's damned if you do damned if you don't in this instance (laughs) yeah uh and look there is precedent for brad arthur to trust a mature age debutant with uh, enhanced responsibilities in their NRL debut we saw that with andrew davey in 2020 uh where uh, he came in and, and played, I think, 30-plus minutes off the bench for the Eels in the back row. Um, and Makatoa, you know, in sensational form in the New South Wales Cup prior to the abandonment of the competition. But, yeah, I, I like the move from ice to the middle. I feel like being able to perhaps tell him to tee off in a, in a slightly reduced capacity in terms of minutes played and, you know, and once again using that term front load your impact um, might help uh, pave the way for a strong performance for the entire forward pack. Um, that takes us to the, probably the most controversial selection or, or roster change this week in, in the promotion of Sean Lane to left edge. Uh, Lane uh, wasn't scapegoated too badly against South Sydney given the issues elsewhere in the team, but I thought that the effort levels were pretty poor. There were times defensively where uh, Souths really could have gone after him even more in the defensive line. Do you think that this move uh, sparks a better response in him? Do you think this move is more about uh, opening the way for a, a more expanded role for Bryce Cartwright. Where where do we see Brahm, the Sean Lane to edge uh, situation playing out? Does he stay on the edge uh, as the part of the edge rotation for the entire game or does he go back into the middle rotation after that initial stint? I don't think that... Well, first of all, I think our issue around Sean Lane has been one of consistency. Mm-hmm. That's fair. One week, he can be one of the best players on the 150 field. 150 metres off the bench, 50 or 60 metres post-contact, you know, constantly looking to offload. The opposition really struggled to contain him. But then there's the games where there's, you know, two errors, there's defensive lapses, and, you know, just not completely dialed in. And the difference is night and day, isn't it? Well, I'm going I'm to pose something to you, which is that Sean Lane often performs quite well when the Eels are travelling well. When we are able, as a when the pack is able as a unit to have the go forward and the momentum there, he's very good at coming on and maintaining that momentum. That's where I think he excels is 
is playing off the back of momentum that's already been set. I think you've uh, there is the odd exception to that, but I think if when he has the issues, and we know that those issues tend to be around getting into defensive position when uh, the when the opposition is really getting on a roll and you start to see players around the edge of the ruck, the dummy halves or the quick players looking to run through where he might still be getting back on side. Mm -hmm. So we've seen little moments like that. They're, they're not frequent enough that um, you are always having a warning bell every week. But you know that if he's if he has a game where it's not up to the standard that you want, that there's going to be moments in the game where he gets caught out like that. And there was a couple of those moments last week. Um, I I like to think that uh, if he's if he's capable of producing best on field moments, that it comes back to. What it, what the mindset of everyone in the team is? I think if he's if we rely on Sean Lane to be the one to set the standard, we might be in trouble. And that's not a ref, I don't say that as a reflection on Sean. I say it as a reflection of whether we play as a team or not. So I think he's got a I think he's got a strong role he can play if the team is is performing strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. If the team isn't performing strongly, if the pack isn't performing strongly, I I have concerns about what you might get from Sean because I think he I, I, I think he really thrives on the team around him performing well. And uh, that's and a you know what? I think I think that's oh, look. I think that's probably true of a lot of players. Anyway, I don't think he's a. I don't think he's on his own in that regard. I don't and, think he's Robinson Crusoe. And maybe maybe that's where a lot of the calls about the Eels needing a superstar have sort of come from. It's less about needing a superstar and more about having someone that will, you know, sort of drag the team up at times. And you know that that's where Melbourne often have, uh, you know, a player or two that will always drag their teammates up, kicking and screaming at times in a messy contest and. That's something the Eels, even though they've managed to balance out their roster phenomenally uh, compared to past years, it's maybe an area where they're lacking a little bit. So, well, that is that can certainly be a star player, and I don't, yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, there, there, I'm there, calling there, for, there's, an, there's, I'm calling for an elite signing. Also, think, are we talking about leadership in that regard? And that that's another possibility. Uh, and there, there is a Venn diagram here where there's a lot of overlap, right? A superstar leadership someone that will drag, you know, lift teammates up even when t- things are tough. So, you got you know, there, there is overlap in all these different categories and, you know, ideally you can fix them with one or two signings because of that overlap. But, yeah, it's an interesting conversation starter for another another podcast. But, to be, but just on that, do we now explore what we need from Clint Gutherson in this game? Yeah, 100%, because Guffo, no doubt, his form's been down. You know, there's been speculation he's carrying an injury from that win against the Titans where he got hit off the... Well, I mean, this isn't a, a, a complaint against the Titans. He was hit fractionally late off the ball uh, down the left edge short side, and he pulled up a little bit lame, grabbing his ribs. So we don't know what the full impact that has been on his game. But, I mean, statistically, there's no doubt his form is down. On the eye test, there's no doubt his form is down. 
and we've mentioned it so often and we, we speak about players like Sean Lane sort of reflecting the team's overall form but if you had to cite an individual player that sort of was a, a way of assessing the team's uh, condition and how they're travelling the, and as a barometer would be Quinton Gufferson. And I, I, I have an observation that I'd like to make with this because I've had the question about his form and and the worth of his contract put to me numerous times in messages that people have been sending me, uh, whether it be text or uh, social media, that sort of thing. And I've been having a bit of a think about that because I think there's been some unfair comparisons to some different fullbacks. But Clint Gutherson's strength, when I when I reflect on it, is his effort areas around the ball in attack. So he brings a lot of energy and a lot of belief in the team when he is just wherever the action is. Like wherever that ball is and he's floating around where it is, he's looking to back up breaks, he's looking to jump into dummy half and take a dart at uh, retreating defences. He might be involved in some interchange play with the the halves and the dummy half, a bit of inside-outside ball uh, play, that sort of thing. Lately, right, his, I don't think he's dropped off on kick returns. I think he's actually been going quite well with his with his kick returns uh, in uh, from deep field. Uh, his his sweep plays where he's joining in the back line to me don't look too different to what they normally are. They're, sometimes it's a, there's a great ball that he'll throw. Sometimes there isn't. But where I found that I'm not seeing the same Clint Cutherson at the moment is that play around where the ball is around the middle of the field. I don't see him lurking. um, Well, maybe it's because I'm not at the game and watching it live, but I I don't see any impact. I definitely don't see any impact from him around the middle of the field or where the action is. I don't see him lurking. I don't see him ducking in there if the the defence is retreating. Um, maybe there's other players around that that might have influenced that, like um, uh, Reed Marnie. Um, I'm not sure what their, you know, whether their combination just wasn't quite clicking in recent weeks. But it feels to me as if his impact around that area of the field isn't typical Clint Gutherson. Do you think that's a fair call? Yeah, I think that that is a, a very succinct way of putting it. Is that 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 presence, that ever reliable presence that you know he's been throughout his entire tenure at Parramatta uh, through that corridor just isn't there at the moment. And whether it's a function of injury or or a, a paradigm shift in, in offensive responsibilities, I don't know. But uh, it feels like whatever the cause is, it's taken away a lot of our offensive identity. Yeah, and a lot of people are putting down the lack of spark in the Eels' attack to structures that we throw. And and look, there's. There's no doubt that there are some teams that have players or structures that um, are completely different to the Eels and are, and, and are maybe more effective at racking up big scores. But the Eels play Eels footy, which is, which is successful when, they, when everyone f- fulfils their role. And it feels as if we've got 
players that aren't fulfilling the role that we need them to be doing. And, and it's not, this isn't a question of effort. And, and it's not a question of, maybe it's not even a question of desire. It's a question of, have, is there a reason that they've drifted away from it? I, I spoke the other week about we're not playing the para footy from that sense of the forwards really getting over the opposition and that power game. But it, yeah, it, it goes deeper than that. It's it's as I said, it's the role of even players like Clint Gutherson. It's the it's the role that Reed Marnie's plays when we're at our best, where he's asking questions out of dummy half, and whether it be the darts or the or the or the passes, those those really sharp passes near the line that have led to try assists. So I think we've seen the stats on Reed Marnie's try assists this year versus every other previous year. So we missed that off Reed Marnie in the last few weeks. His Reed pre-injury versus Reed post-injury were two different players. And I think Clint Gutherson early season and now Clint Gutherson late season are two different players. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, Clint Gutherson late season now is a different player to Clint Gutherson before, like just before, because to me, the, all that energy in and around the ruck, in and around the ball, doesn't seem to be there in the same way. So, and I, and I don't see other aspects of his game. Uh, mate, there's been some question about the the temperament and the and the um and how that relates to leadership but even that aside that to me is the that influence around the ruck and on the ball seems to be the area where i feel that something's gone missing and it's not as if it's not there in him so it, to me like for a lot of these players it's i just think it's about rediscovery mm-hmm. yeah like you said it, it's about Remembering who this team is for the the vast majority of its tenure, rather than what they've become more recently, and you know that that can be a tricky thing because you think about you know on a personal level when you have to when you're in a bit of a funk and sometimes you know everything goes wrong and no matter what you you think you you, you can do or try, nothing goes right and it, it's an, a thing we've raised on the podcast or I've raised on the podcast before. It's easy to forget that. Uh, we see their jobs, these players, as, you know, it's easy because it's 80 minutes a week, right? You, you, all you have to do is just turn up for 80 minutes a week. And obviously that's not the reality because there is a ton of training that goes on behind the scenes. There's a lot of game day prep. There's a lot of study and review and self-reflection, uh, scouting of the opposition, all those sort of things. And that's not even talking about what the coaching staff and the auxiliary staff have to do. But when you think about as, as a individual, when you have a bad day at work and, you know, that's between six to 10 to 12 hours, depending on what you're doing and, and where you're working. And, you know, that, that happens. And it can happen if it's a bad time of the year at work or, you know, you're in, having a bad time yourself just away from work and it's influencing you. That can play on for several days, right? And then you, yeah. you translate that to football and they've, they've literally only got 80 minutes to perform every week. And if, you just, if you're off by a fraction in those 80 minutes, it'll cost you dearly. And that, that's what's happened to the Eels, it feels like, in this slump is that they've been off and and things have sort of compounded and they've stayed off. So if they can just get, like you said, it's not easy, but rediscovery, find it, remember who they are rather than what they've become. And, you know, this goes across the core players and the group in general. So Have they them. got, I wonder, there's that, 
that terminology of the yips. Oh, right, and the, have they. Yeah, oh, very, there's a very good chance that the yips are, are a factor here. And and once again, it's one of the things that makes sport so fascinating as a spectator is that psychologically, like, it's so difficult to get your thumb on the yips because they just turn up and then they completely wreck, you know, the, the existing processes and, and structures and everything that has made a team so competitive and strong. And then all of a sudden they can disappear on the back of just, you know, one ugly win or or, you know, a bit of luck going your way, or, you know, maybe the boys spend the week playing ping pong or something like that, just distracting themselves from football. That there, there, there are so many different factors that come into play with oh, yeah. something like you that. See, you see professional golfers that get the yips with their swing or their putting it, game. It completely you breaks it. Professional it's, tennis players yeah. who go through a stage where they can't get the ball tossed for their serve, mm-hmm. something that they would literally hundreds do in of, their hundreds sleep. Hundreds of thousands of times, see, millions of times. Um, cricketers that can't stop waving the bat at balls just outside the off stump as you know they can't stop themselves doing it or or taking a wild swing when the if they get a bump bouncer that comes at them that it's it's you know th- there's all these funny yips that can come into into a player a, a sportsman's game that you just don't expect and um it it, it feels like it's so many in the team have hit that point where, um, or maybe it's just the key players, and it and it and it becomes tougher for the, some of the players around them if if they if the key players in the team have elements of the yips in their game. Um, I do you know what I have the feeling, and maybe this is going to be the key to tomorrow night. I know it's only it was only one game back. But I didn't feel that Mitch Moses had any yips about him. No. No, Mitch, and, Mitch was business as usual uh, in spite of, obviously, the, there was a number of missed tackles or broken tackles against him that you can sort of uh, assign to those pain management issues. But in terms of his general play, he was yeah. back, back, back to him. Like, you know, he was just Mitchell Moses, the one, the one that's really put this team... Uh, <laughs> rather ironically, on his back for most of the year. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I I have, um, you know what it's, and it and it might sound it might sound strange, but maybe from that regard they can find a uh, a positive in Joey Lussick being in because I know they're going to miss all the things that Reed can potentially bring into into the game, but I. I just had that feeling that his prior injury was playing on his mind and affecting what he was able to produce. And uh, Joey Lussick, we've seen Joey Lussick out there on the field in New South Wales Cup and in those uh, times in first grade. And he's not someone who lacks confidence in any in any way in what he's going to... He's going to have a crack at things. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like He's... He's um, and I, having seen him on the training track as well, he's he's someone I like. I I believe they might struggle to keep Joey Lussick for. I think next there's year, already, there's already talk about going back to the Super League in the media. There's some uh, talk. I think it was yeah, St Helens maybe. Uh, so yeah, someone was circling to bring him back to ESL. Yeah, I he's I think he's too good to be running around at New South Wales Cup level. Yeah. Because, uh, and I think he's got enough self-belief that I don't think he'd waste time running around at that level. So 
yeah, it wouldn't surprise me that if he can't get a, a spot at a club where he'd be guaranteed an NRL jersey, that he would head back to England because I, I think he's got enough. I think he's cocky enough that he, he's like, well, I'm a, I'm a top-grade player. So I don't see that as a bad thing. If we're talking about the Eels currently going through uh, a lack of confidence, I don't have too many problems with... Joey Lussick coming in right now because I think he'll he'll have the self-belief that we need. And I don't think it hurts that he's playing against his old club. No, absolutely. Um, And we've had a a, a bit of almost melancholy in our introspection about the the preview podcast today. So let's kick it up to some positive news. And I was going to transition to a positive segment talking about the debut of Makassi Makatoa, but while we're recording uh, on on, uh, Friday, as it were, uh, something that we've sort of known through the media for the last week or two, but now made official by the club. Uh, the retentions of Bryce Cartwright for two years and Ray Stone for one year uh, just announced on Twitter and on the website. So a little bit of uh, nice re- uh, retention news there, especially in the case of Bryce Cartwright. Uh, Bryce Cartwright. I mean, we all love Stoney too, uh, but Bryce has been fantastic in, in limited uh, capacity so far, and it's something that we like to see his role expand now as we head towards the postseason. Yeah, I had some rumours put to me a couple of weeks ago that that Bryce had signed elsewhere, and I just said, um, no, everything that I know is that he's he'd been retained by the club. So it's good to see that being officially announced and, and puts to bed any rumours to the contrary. And I think the it would have been a shame were Ray Stone to be moved on because he's... You know exactly what you're going to get in terms of energy and effort with Ray. He's, he's, a, he's a high character part of the squad too. Oh, he 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 very much is, and the the other blokes in the squad love him. And um, he's really been cursed with injuries over the last couple of years. And um, I'm glad to see him going around for another twelve months, and let's hope he gets another opportunity to find a place within the team or on the bench because, as I said, I I think he, he has a lot that he has to offer. So um, that is good news. And for Bryce, hopefully he gets a chance to uh, parlay that new deal into an expanded role this week because we saw against South Sydney he came in um, in 20-something minutes and made some strong defensive plays and some nice offensive involvements. And with Sean Lane on that left edge, there's a good chance that uh, he might end up getting an expanded role against uh, the Manly Seagulls. Yes, yeah. And now when you're talking about contracts, that's where this debut of Makahesi Makatoa becomes interesting because you'd, you'd have to imagine that with the numbers that he was putting out during the New South Wales Cup this year, that first of all, he was, even before injuries took their toll, that he was, well, I do know, that well back that there was talk that he will get a shot this year. He's going well enough. At some stage, he's going to get a shot. So that that's not a complete surprise. The fact that he's now been able to achieve it where he hasn't been able to be on the playing field for so many weeks is is probably the only surprise that was there. So um, a bloke, he, he leads the... New South Wales Cup, when it was shut down, he was leading it for runs, for run metres, for post-contact metres, for 
decoy runs, the stuff that, you know, and I mean, things like decoy runs and those dummy runs, man, if you don't get credited for, for that, gee, that's a lot of work that, that any player is doing. Yeah, that, that's uh, one of those internal metrics that the coaches and clubs love, but players and fan, uh, players, fans and, and, you know, general pundits don't really appreciate because uh, all that off-the-ball work means a lot in, in terms of making your structures work. Yeah, so he's he's got the numbers there, and and as you as we've talked about in our in we've been able to cover him in our um, live calls and and in also in the numerous New South Wales Cup games that we've watched this year, and that motor where I mentioned before that he he would take multiple hit ups in a set, it's going to stand him in good stead for what he's about to face now and it's not like he's uh, he's a 28 year old debutant but that's a lot of experience that he's had at, at New South Wales Cup level so he's played with and against plenty of other blokes that have gone on and played first grade or, or come back to New South Wales Cup from first grade so he knows what's, what it's about he's, he's I'm sure he is going to do himself proud, and if he plays as we expect, it could be interesting to see whether he gets a top thirty contract for next year. I don't think there's too many places left in the club, as you, as with all these announcements of retentions for next year. Remember, yeah, we're not squeeze. talking about the blokes that are off contract at the end of 2022. The five that they've mentioned, we're talking about blokes that contract places that are available now for next year. I don't think there's too many places, and. Um, now that we've had uh, Stoney confirmed as being another year, I think we're down to about three or four, maybe something like that. Macca, <coughs> so it'll be interesting. Macca came in. There was a lovely article actually, I think, published today or yesterday, uh, where Ryan Carr, who's the Parramatta Eels reserve grade coach and also one of the NRL assistant coaches, uh, was sourced for the the piece and uh, talking about the the connection between the two of them, given that. Uh, he coached him in Canberra, Reggie's, and also took him over to England. And uh, he was ready to give up after last year, um, go back and and be a tradie, sort of seeing his window to play NRL closed on the back of the COVID uh, reduced season, where he you know, got to play the one one uh, one New South Wales Cup game plus the preseason. Um, he came back this year for fifteen thousand dollars, I believe, to to play Reggie's, and he's managed to convert that into an actual NRL debut. So really cool story. Um, you always love to see the. It's like the rugby league romance, right? It's a a guy living the dream against all odds, and and not only that, it's not like he's it's been handed handed an opportunity out of uh, a, a romantic love for the game and creating a, an interesting storyline. He deserves his shot. He has been phenomenal in the New South Wales Cup. Um, you mentioned those numbers, but he was you know above two hundred a game. Uh, he was running down the middle and on the edges, breaking tackles, offloading, backing it up with phenomenal defensive numbers. You know, mid thirty tackle counts with good uh, effective rate, uh, tackling effective rate. So he, he has earned this call-up. I, I do hope he gets more than just a handful of minutes this week. We might just, out of sheer necessity, he might get that even more than just his form. Um, and yeah, and, and if he can have a strong showing, maybe he converts that into an opportunity next week. Well, I want to point out that he didn't do an NRL preseason. Yeah, he just he, he came back on, on, on the skin of his own back in the best shape of his life. He just, yeah. you know, through sheer personal motivation, uh, came back... Ready to make an NRL push, 
So that shows you the sort of character, which is you know a huge. You talk about red flags on the other side. That is a huge tick mark as a as a character check, right? Uh, you know, a bloke that just through sheer determination and willpower gets themselves into career best shape in order to compete for an outside chance at an NRL spot. Yeah, yeah. So uh, really looking forward to him getting some decent time, um, uh, but look, uh, but also bearing in mind that, uh, and I hope others bear in mind as well, that if the minutes aren't as many as, as we'd like, that there's completely valid reasons why that may not eventuate. And it has everything to do with the amount of game time that blokes that aren't playing first grade now have had to go through. Mm-hmm. Seven, eight weeks without a match. Yes, sir. Now, we've been rambling on for just over an hour, so it's uh, getting to the uh, championship minutes of the podcast, mate. Let's start wrapping things up as we look towards this clash against the Seagulls. We've spoken about their strengths. We've spoken about where the Eels need to improve, where the Parramatta Eels' strengths are, if they can recall them. How do you see this one playing out? The Parramatta get the bickies? And if so, how are we going to do it in terms of the scoreline? Well, I guess, like always, I'll be more clear in my thoughts after the first five or ten minutes of the match mm-hmm. because I think that'll be the barometer for how the match is going to pan out. If Parramatta play to their potential, and actually, potential is the wrong word. If the Eels play as they should and as they are capable of... True to who they are. Yeah, if they play who they are, then I see them winning in a tight match. I I don't know that I... I, I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable in in giving a score prediction, but I would think that it might be something in the vicinity of about 24 to 20. Funny, if, it's funny you say that, because when I get to my prediction, you'll have a laugh. Yeah, okay. If the Eels play as they have in the, the last couple of weeks, I'd rather not give a prediction. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, it'll be that sort of night at the office, won't it? If, we, if we're the Eels of the last three weeks, then Manly are going to do a very big number on us, and it's not going to be pleasant viewing. Yeah. But uh, a lot of the talk this week from the boys has been uh, it's time to blot out the outside noise and, and you know stop talking and, and make action happen. So saying the right things at the least, but you've got to convert those words into actions, obviously. Um, I actually tipped a 26-20 to 20 win against the Seagulls on the Parramatta podcast. So that that's uh, funny that you go 24-20 because we had the, obviously, without even talking about it, we had a very similar prognosis on the potential outcome that it's going to be relatively high-scoring um, and it'll be a tight win one way or another if the Eels do eke past. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll stick with the 26-20 forecast. Um, you got to tip a Parramatta win because, like you, like we said, the alternative is not going to be pretty. And uh, just in terms of the football result, not even talking about the outside noise, that'll, outside noise that'll start piling up because of it. Um, but, yeah, this is a, a game that, like I said, historically we've had a good matchup against Manly under Brad Arthur. I know they're very confident. I know they've got the form player of the tournament or of the competition, rather. But, you know, the, that didn't stop the Eels from beating the Melbourne Storm in round two when they had, you know, Cameron Munster and other superstars. So you just focus on doing your job and a lot of the rest of the game take, takes care of itself. Manly going to get their points, that's natural, but you've got to make sure that you're always in the contest in a position to, to counter-strike. So, yeah, looking forward yeah, well, to... The, the, the Eels go into this contest still in fourth place. 
Yeah, which is now, for for all our struggles, you know, that's a testament to their success and, and the work they did in the first half of the season. That's it. And there's criticism of the fact that the Eels do front load the season and have had some issues at the back end of the season. I I don't um, I don't attest to last year being um, symptomatic of the team having nothing left by the end of the year because I believe that when they hit the finals and and I'm going on what I was seeing on the training track on the uh, and and also out on the field in terms of the um, the enthusiasm the energy that was out there they they timed the run in terms of the energy of the team perfectly. Unfortunately, what wasn't timed so well was the in- injuries that came yeah, last year. Yeah, we saw obviously Mitchell Moses with the calf injury reduced to a shell of the player that we know he is. Yes, uh, and yeah, was- absolutely. And and then of course we had the the the, the injuries to the the backline players yeah. to Murata, yep. and then of course the Michael Jennings scenario. That like, anyone that that ignores those factors in last year's finals results is simply working to the narrative of Parramatta lose finals. This year, um, when it comes to the front loading, it has obviously been significant because it, I mean, important because it's got the team into a guaranteed finals position when all teams were um, fumbling and bumbling their way around the start of the season. Now, how we go in the next few weeks and then one when the finals hit might tell a different story but i'm far more comfortable with the with the team front ending and guaranteeing a place in the finals than a team scrambling to get form or to get form really late and to be doing a mathematical question about can they still qualify and which we've had far too often in many past seasons so um, but when it comes down to uh, this this scenario that we're in right now, as I said, we're in fourth place. A win over the Sea Eagles keeps them four points behind the Eels with only three rounds remaining, and one of those matches, one of those rounds remaining for the Eels being against the Cowboys, and you'd like to think we're a reasonable chance of winning that one. Um, and that's even forgetting that. And I mean, that's even ne- a negative way to look at that. Um, the Roosters have have still got to keep winning their games. So I think there's been a there's definitely been a negative looking at Parramatta's scenario. Oh, we're going to lose every game. Oh, we're not going to finish in the top four. It's still in the Eels' hands. The yeah. Eels are still in fourth place, yeah. and they can go a long way towards keeping themselves in that spot by beating one of the teams that is challenging for it and is still two points behind them this week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and like it, it's so easy to forget that there are that many balls being juggled in the air in terms of the general general competition that for all of Parramatta's struggles that these other teams that are competing for them still have a lot to play for because of it. Uh, that you know, a win here this week for Parramatta completely changes the, the landscape of the finals. So all of the run to the finals. So... Yeah, a lot in the line this week, um, and you know, in a way, perhaps it's best that we are playing the Manly Seagulls, a team that you know we have a lot of history with, and and generally get up to play. So maybe they'll be the the spark that galvanises our team back to their best. Well, I'm sure that they've got a, a 
match from earlier this year that they'd like to make amends for, let alone um, the greater context. Been, yeah, yeah, the, the, the that the, as you say, the greater context of where they are right now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And on that note, I think it's a nice place to sign off as we uh, look forward to kick off tomorrow night. As always, uh, this has been 40, 20, and 60s for the tip sheet. You can always jump on thecumberlandfro.com, also known as TCT for those that are curious uh, by shorthand to catch more opinions. 60s dropped a fantastic uh, Bumpers Up blog today. So be sure to check that out and have a comment. And like we always say in these times where we're under lockdown and having, you know, in an area, so a local government area now, it's just gone under the higher level of lockdown. Um, if you do ever want to reach out and just have a chat, don't be afraid to just talk footy or general life. Um, we're all there to uh, have each other's backs and we know everyone's doing it tough at the moment. So stay safe, stay sound, and hopefully you can enjoy the footy this week. Yeah, and uh, special shout out to our um, the Giant Step School who have a place in our heart and they're suffering at the moment with this uh, with COVID, with uh, infections hitting their community. So our thoughts are with them, our thoughts are with all of the businesses out there at the moment that are that are doing it tough the individuals and families doing it tough um support local businesses where you can eels supporters support the Parramatta leagues club in the trading that they are doing at the moment just anything that you can do to help each other would be fantastic well said my friend and on that note we'll sign off we'll see you guys very soon hopefully for a positive instant reaction podcast see ya